0: This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. This is the final part of One Thessalonians, a letter written to new Christians. Uh, It is full of wisdom this evening on how to go forward as a church. And it finishes up with an absolute burst of confidence that we will go forward. It's a little bit like uh, you're planning this week, say, to go to Adelaide. And so you do a bit of planning, ticket, luggage, transport, But then in the end, you're gonna be taken to Adelaide. You don't have to deal with the long journey yourself. And in this section of 1 Thessalonians, this is a lovely section here about doing your part and then how the Lord will do his part. There is great need for progress among Christian people. A few weeks ago, I was having lunch with Chase. I was sharing with him my plan for a PhD in uh, people types. Uh, My PhD plan is to do uh, a doctorate in the types of people there are. Um, There are the people who are like a cherry, that is, they're soft on the outside, hard on the inside. There are the Jaffa people who are hard on the outside, soft on the inside. There are the grape people, soft on the outside, soft on the inside. And there are ball bearing people who are hard on the outside, hard on the inside. At the men's dinner this particular Monday night, uh, Chase was interviewed and he was asked a question on what it was like to work with me. And he completely lost the plot and ended up describing me, working with me as like working with a pineapple. Uh, His phrase I think was prickly on the outside but quite sweet on the inside. Now, I don't know whether he was making a mistake, you know, whether he had meant to say peach or plum. Um, He is American and it's possible he doesn't know all the fruits. Uh, But pineapple is completely inappropriate. And I'm feeling feeling quite prickly about it actually. And I'm trying to think of a sweet way to see Chase off with CMS to a faraway country. And I mention this because he, he perhaps more than others needs progress and all Christians, <laughs> all Christians need progress. All churches need progress. And um, you and I mustn't be surprised when we come to a church like this or a small group and we find ourselves mixing with people who are really quite sinful and quite weak what we should be deeply thankful for is that Christ is incredibly patient. He is a wonderful doctor with sick people, and he's made tremendous promises that he will see us through to the day where we eventually, if we belong to him, are going to be like him. Unbelievable. Now, twice in the Thessalonian letter, at the halfway mark and at the end, which I think is very significant, the Apostle Paul says that he is looking forward to the Thessalonian believers being blameless. And if you only remember one word from this evening's sermon, I hope you'll remember the word blameless. Because it's quite possible, as one commentator says, that this is the key to the letter. Not only that you would be forgiven through Christ and therefore ready to stand before him, but that you would be in some way joyful before him, making progress as you go towards him. And um, I want us to think about this particular section with blameless in mind. What would you write to young Christians if you'd run a mission like Paul did for only three weeks and left some believers behind? What would you write to them? How would you want them to go forward in Christ? Uh, Probably you'd write and say, read your Bible, say your prayers, uh, read Christian books. And these would be great secrets to personal faith. And they would uh, when I pray for people at St. Thomas's or I hear that uh, Gav and Chase and others are praying for the congregation and they are and they see a name on the page and they think, thank you, Lord, that this person is going forward. How much they've grown in the past year or perhaps they see the name and they say, oh, Lord, please bring this person out of the, the rut where they are. Please help them to go forward. What, what could we add if we were writing to people beyond praying for them and telling them to read their Bible that would help them to go forward? Well, that's what I think 1 Thessalonians 5:12 to 28 is doing. I think the Apostle Paul is setting out in the, in the early verses three areas for going forward and then one great confidence that we will go forward. And so verses 12 to 22 are the three practical things that we can do to go forward as a church. And then verses 23 to 28 is the one perfect work that God will do to make sure that we do go forward. Okay, have you got that with me? Taken a long time to say it. Three things in verses 12 to 22 that we can work on to go forward. And one great thing that God is going to do to make sure that we do go forward. So the three priorities, I've called them, I'm going to call them three ships, as in sailing ships. The first one is leadership. The first priority is leadership. Uh, I remind you that the mission was a very fast mission. He says in verse 12, respect those who work hard among you. Now, we know from Acts chapter 14 that the Apostle Paul's priority was to set up leaders in every church that he planted. So even in this very young church of Thessalonica, it seems that there were leaders, although you'll notice the apostle Paul doesn't refer to them as leaders or elders or bishops or overseers. There are no titles here. It's a very young church. He just says, I want you to respect, literally know, those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish or warn you, verse 12. That's gonna be one of the great keys, says Paul, to your progress. Now, this is a very shrewd key to progress. And friends, we need instruction about our leaders. I mean, I've got a local bishop. Do I like him? Does that matter? I've got an archbishop. Do I like him? Does that matter? How am I going to relate to people who are over me in the Lord? How will you relate to people? We need instruction as Christians on how to treat spiritual leaders. If we take our cue from the world, then we will look at the leader and we'll like them or we'll despise them on whether they are doing things that we want. You'll notice that Barack Obama is getting great applause from our media because he's saying what people want him to say. Climate change, Uh, disadvantaged people, human rights, all the areas that are popular. If we take our cue in treating spiritual leaders from self, then we'll do it on the basis of taste or looks or personality. You know, he's old, so we respect him. He's young, so we like him. He's funny, so we love him. That kind of taste will be a recipe for no progress. Now, dealing with spiritual leaders is crucial for Christian progress. Uh, When the Apostle Paul speaks to leaders like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, the letters in the New Testament, he gives them a very, very high charge or a very high calling. He says, your character is to be beyond criticism, you're to be very disciplined, you're to be committed to the word of God and to prayer, you're to um, be ready to be patient with everybody, you're to drive error out if there's error, you're to warn the ungodly, you're not to be lazy, you're not to be addicted to drink, you're not to be addicted to money, all those sorts of things. It's a very, very uh, great challenge to the leaders. But here he's talking to the members, because um, if the members, reject good leaders, then there's going to be going, no going forwards. Uh, now, if you're a leader here today, uh, you, know, you know, it's like if you've got a Sunday school class and you've just got one member of the class who is impossible and they occupy all your nervous energy and your prayers. And in some ways they can make or break the class Or think of a family member, you know, it's possible in a family to have a family member who's bringing such grief or such challenge to the family, that in the end they're almost making or breaking the family. So it is with the church that members can actually enable or undermine leaders. They can make the leader's job much more pleasant and effective or much more difficult and ineffective. And this is the clue, says the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Don't put the leader on a pedestal, don't despise or reject them, but know how you should respect them, says he in verse 12, because of their work. In other words, they've been given a task and they are beginning to do the task. They work, says the Apostle, verse 12, hard. Literally, the word is, they get weary the second thing in verse 12 is that they are over you and the word in the original language is they stand before you. What does it mean when a leader stands before you? Well it could be that he's standing before you as I am now in a way to point the way or it could be that I'm standing before you to represent you even to intercede for you and to pray for you. And then verse 12 uh, as they admonish or warn you. Now, if you want to get your head around what a a leader or a pastor does, just imagine, um, you know, so that you don't think that the pastoral staff of the local church between Monday and Saturday just sit around. I, I mean, I have no idea what unbelievers think pastors do. Occasionally, as Christmas comes, somebody will say, It's coming up to Christmas, you know, I guess you're starting to get busy. I think. Christmas is coming, everything's about to stop and wind down. People don't understand pastoral ministry. So think of yourself as being given a hundred people to look after, your family, your church family is a hundred. Your job is to care for them. You've got to ask the question, how are their souls with God? Are they right with God? Do I know that? Uh, Are they being taught? Are they being discipled? Are they being trained? What's going on in their lives? Are they sick at the moment? Are they sad? Are they sliding around? Are they being silly? How can you help them to maturity? Go, you've got a hundred names. And you begin to realize that it's quite messy. It's complicated. And to have a hundred people who say, well, we understand the position and we're going to be uh, helpful and cooperative makes the job so much more straightforward. Spiritual leadership is a massive privilege. It's also a massive responsibility. And those who serve Christ and those who serve you need your help to be effective. Make the job as easy as possible for them. Uh, It may be that they hold an office and they've got Rev in front of their name. Well, that's interesting. But actually, you should, says the Apostle Paul, be noticing those who work hard among you and stand before you or stand for you and even admonish you or warn you because they're obviously committed to seeing you on the track with Christ. So take your cue, not from the world or from your own taste, but take your cue from God's word. The second of the ships is fellowship, verses 14 to 18. this is especially how you deal with others in the church. Okay, you come along on a Sunday, there's maybe a couple of hundred people, or you turn up on a Wednesday night, maybe there's 12 people. How are you going to conduct yourself with the other believers? That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And this again is a tremendous way for progress. And it's a very shrewd thing that Paul says, because he says, we're not meant to meet aimlessly. What will happen But we're not meant to come aimlessly. We're meant to come very purposefully. Uh, When Kathy and I uh, go into a lot of situations at the moment, it may be that we're getting older, but we realize that some of the dinners that we go to are difficult. Some of the family occasions are complicated. And I mean wider family, I don't mean my family of five or six. Some of the ministries that we go to together They're really uncertain. We feel very needy as we go to these things and we will ask God to help us because it's a bit of a battleground. Um, You know, would the Lord use us as an instrument to say and not say and to be and to have good influence? And so we're praying that the Lord would help us to be useful. Now that's really what the Apostle Paul is saying. You're meant to be useful when you come to gather with God's people. Uh, Don't come like a leech with a bunch of leeches, hoping that you can sort of get blood from other people. I mean, there are times where we come where we're very needy. We still need to ask the Lord to help us to be very faithful. Don't come as if you want some new fans for your fan club. You know, how am I looking? That's not gonna be helpful to the fellowship. We've got to say, Lord, use me to be a help to others. And even if we come and we're feeling very flat and very empty and very needy, it's as we, by the grace of God, cross the room to be faithful, loving to another person, and we pour out what feels like the last drop of energy. So often the Lord refills the cup and uses us. I know what it's like to come on a Sunday morning or evening and just feel completely at the end of myself as if the easiest thing would be to just come in and then escape. But there needs to be that um, attitude and prayer, which says, Lord, give grace for usefulness, because it may be that something will be said or done, which under your good hand will really be effective. And that's what the apostle Paul is talking about here. In chapter five, verse 14, he says, you also have got a job to warn the idol. He said in chapter five, verse 12, this is what the leader will do, but you also are to do it, it's a plural command. Warn the person literally says Paul, who's out of line. That is in the, in the sort of the army of the Lord, this person is out of rank. You've got to try and work out how to steer them back into line with Christ. Would you rather you came to church and everybody just pleased you, or would you be grateful occasionally for someone to stir you? Well, I hope the second. I hope we don't just want to be patted all the time on the back. And then he says in verse 12, encourage the timid, literally the small-souled person, S-O-U-L-E-D, the person with a small soul. That is the person who's frail. Paul says, speak close to them, draw tenderly towards them. And then help the weak, verse 14. Be devoted to the person who you know has failed because you know what it's like to fail. Let them know that you are with them and that there is more mercy from Christ. And then he says, verse 14, be patient with everyone, be long-suffering. Now, friends, notice what this means is that when you come and everybody is in need of progress, You've got to try by the grace of God to be appropriate to the person you're speaking to, because sometimes the person will need to be warned. Sometimes the person will need to be given much patience. Sometimes the person will need to be given much listening. We have no idea really what people who come into a gathering like this have come from. Just imagine if people came in, a whole lot of people came in with prayer before they came into the building, asking God for grace and wisdom to have a constructive effect on other people, the little church here would start to grow. Thessalonian church would start to grow, and the reason we need to be like this is because we are unfinished people. I think i 've told you before that when billy graham 's wife Ruth Graham, driving home from a meeting once, she went past a building site which had just been completed, and the building had been finished and There was a big sign outside which said, "Reconstruction now completed. Thank you for your patience. It was a message to the motorists: Reconstruction now completed." Thank you for your patience. And she decided that she would have this on her gravestone. And it is, it is now on her gravestone. Reconstruction now completed. Thank you for your patience. Well, until you get to the end, you are under reconstruction. And we need one another to help the process. That's why he says in verse 15, therefore don't pay back. Churches can be very painful places. Other Christians can be very hurtful I wish someone had told me when I began the Christian life how much suffering would come from those inside the fellowship. Sometimes we're the victims of those people inside the fellowship, sometimes we're the perpetrators. Apostle Paul says, if you're tempted to exercise some revenge, put the revenge ideas away. And then in verses 16 to 18, there are three reminders that your attitude is also helpful in the fellowship. You can have a huge impact on people by Verse 16, being joyful always. Verse 17, praying continually. And verse 18, giving thanks in all circumstances. What does it mean to be joyful always? It doesn't mean that you're gonna be happy all the time because joy is linked to what you know. Joy is where you know whose you are, where you stand, how secure you are, and where you're going. Joy is not a circumstantial thing. Joy is Noah in the ark saying, this may not be great. It's stormy outside and it's smelly inside, but I'm traveling from one shore to the next and therefore I rejoice. And the Christian says, I'm in Christ. I'm traveling from one shore to the next. Pray continually doesn't mean pray all the time. That would be ridiculous. It means pray any time. You're gonna walk with Christ You're gonna walk in fellowship with Christ. You can lift up your voice in prayer at any time with a thank you or a request or a confession. And the third thing he says is give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. That would be stupid he says, in the middle of circumstances, we can be thankful because everything is on the backdrop of God's good purposes. Now, it's wonderful that the Apostle Paul can say this, isn't it? If anybody deserved to say, rejoice occasionally, or pray occasionally, or give thanks occasionally, it's the Apostle Paul. But he says, rejoice always, pray continually, be thankful always. So respect the leadership that will help the progress of the church, constructive fellowship, that will help the progress of the church. And the third of the ships is what I'm going to call worship. And I hesitate to use the word worship because it's a very misleading word. Uh, Actually, our worship, as you know, is the whole of our life. Um, We come, in a sense, to worship here, but we also, at the end of the service, go home to worship because worship is the the whole of our life. But I think you'll understand if I say in these verses 19 and following, that Paul is interested in what we do when we gather. And he says, don't put out or quench the spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold the good, chuck out the bad. So as we come together, we've got to make sure that we're not despising the work of the spirit, but we're being discerning so that we don't get led down a road that's erroneous or unhelpful. So this is the big picture. See if you can take in this big picture. Uh, The apostle says, beware the anti-supernaturalist. The anti-supernaturalist exists in some evangelical reformed circles. Of course, they would never say that they are anti-supernaturalist. It's just that that's the way they live. Uh, this is where Christianity has become like an ugly business run by very dry businessmen where God is absent and unnecessary because it's all about our business. And the big emphasis is all on how we plan and then maybe for five seconds pray. That Christianity is ugly, deadly, On the other hand, we need to beware the random supernaturalism. This again is easy for churches to fall into. This is where God becomes a genie who lives inside the bottle of your head, the the sort of the inner God who you control. And he does whatever you want. This Christianity becomes usually very selfish and insane. So here is this young Thessalonian church And um, we know that people in the church of Thessalonica are already saying things that were false, like if you die, you miss out on Christ. And here the apostle Paul says, I don't want you to fall into the trap of the absent God. And I don't want you to fall into the trap of the inner God. So he says, don't attack God's work among you. Don't try to make the church your business that you control. It's not your business and you don't control it. And don't despise, he says, timely words my definition of prophecy, timely words. When he talks about prophecies, the Apostle Paul doesn't mean like Old Testament prophets, because their words were added to Scripture. He doesn't mean the same as apostles, because their words were added to Scripture. But timely words are words which are in line with the Word of God, and in the first century were often used by God before the Bible was put together, And God may use timely words in the 21st century to guide the church. But the Apostle Paul says, test everything. Test it by scripture and test it over time and keep the good. Somebody may come up with an idea which will really bless the fellowship. Well, is it fitting in with scripture? Watch and see whether it's effective over time. Someone may come up with an idea which is really going to divide the fellowship. Well, Paul says, chuck it out. So those are three ships for progress, Uh, leadership, fellowship, and worship. And my last point, very briefly, just in my last few minutes is the key to progress, which is verses 23 to 28. I got a friendly letter uh, yesterday in my tray from a couple who obviously listened to talks from St. Thomas's on the radio. And um, the letter began by saying, your teaching has broad vision, but is narrowed by John Calvin. And uh, the letter went on to say this, I don't believe that God controls things. I believe that God lets us do things. And that our human responsibility means that in the end, it is up to us. Now I'm so thankful that that's only half the picture When you read um, scripture, and Calvin, I think, agrees with scripture, it teaches that God is sovereign. His plans are going to happen, but we are responsible. And they work together. And I think this is a wide view and not a narrow view. So that's why in the verses that we've just looked at, the Apostle Paul talks about human responsibility. But in these last verses, he's talking very much about God's sovereignty. And you'll see in verse 23, he offers a prayer. Basically, he calls to God and he says, may God sanctify you through and through. In other words, may God get you to the end. And the priority here is that uh, you and I would be perfect in holiness That's what the apostle Paul is praying. May God finish the job he began. If he's begun the job in you, he will finish it. If he's not begun the job in you, well, he needs to begin the job in you. But the apostle Paul says, may God finish the job he began and make you like Christ. You notice he calls God in verse 23, the God of peace, the God of Shalom, the God whose influence is into all relationships with God, with people and with yourself. And he says, I'm praying, or this is his prayer at the end, that God will work to make you like Christ through and through. Literally, he will make you completely and finally whole. And if you wanna know how totally God is gonna do this, verse 23, it's gonna be in your spirit, your soul and your body. Everything is gonna be transformed. You name a part of you and it's gonna be transformed. He's not giving an anatomy lesson here. He's not even giving a psychology lesson. He's giving a spiritual lesson. There's going to be complete transformation for the believer. And that's why C.S. Lewis said, if you could see the Christian today as they will be at the end, when they've been made like Christ, you would be tempted to fall down and worship them because God for his own glory and by his own grace has planned to turn his people into the likeness of the character of Christ. It's got nothing really to do with our own ability. It's certainly not something we deserve, but it's what God has promised to do. So at the coming of Jesus, verse 23, and this is the eighth time in the letter that Paul has referred to the coming of Jesus. He says, you'll be blameless. Of course you'll be forgiven, but you'll also be like him. 1 John chapter three, verse two. When we see him, we'll be like him for we will see him as he is. 1 John chapter three, verse two. And this lovely verse 24, which I think is the key to the letter, God will do it. God will do it, he's faithful. So you see what the Apostle is saying? You take your part, do help the leadership, do help the membership, do be discerning about the worship but god will do his part and therefore be ex- be extremely joyful about that his final words verse 25 pray for us why does he say that because paul himself is still under reconstruction he's part of the need and then he says greet the people with a holy kiss i just want to say to you a little bit about holy kisses before we come to the end and i'm going to read to you from leon morris who must be one of the most conservative personalities and commentators that has been around. He's now in glory. And this is what he says about the holy kiss. The kiss had ordinary usage in secular society. People would kiss the cheek, the shoulder, the foot or the hand. It was taken over for Christian significance, especially when the brethren came together. Originally, it was between members of the same sex. But in time, men and women exchange kisses. This is the part I love. Understandably, this led to undesirable scenes. (laughs) And the early church councils passed a number of regulations governing the circumstances under which the kiss should be exchanged. What that means is as the senior pastor, you must come to me and I will tell you who you can kiss. (laughs) and on which shoulder. (laughs) No, the translation for us today, greet one another with the Holy Christ, is basically this in Australia, say hello to people and do it in a very kind way and do it in a very godly way. That's what it means. Greet one another in a kind and godly way. Verse 27, Paul says, read this to all the brothers. I want to make sure, says Paul, everybody hears this. And verse 28, grace to you because grace is the key to the whole plan of God. In the ancient world, you finished a letter by saying, be strong, it's come back again, hasn't it? It's the way the pagan thinks, be strong. The Christian has something much, much more wonderful, grace to you. The God of grace, who's begun a good work in you through Christ, he'll carry it through to the day of completion, so you will be blameless before him. You've got a contribution to play in the present, Help your leaders, be constructive to the members, be discerning about the worship. But in the end, he who called you is faithful, and he will do it. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au